Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. Matthew 24, verse 14, if we could flash that up, if you've got your Bibles. Um, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the gospel of the kingdom. And so today we're talking about making things right. It's Heart for Justice Sunday, and we're talking about making things right. Where there are wrong things in the world, God is actually wanting to set them to rights. He's wanting to take wrong, broken stuff and heal it and make it right. That's Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. And that's the gospel that we preach. That it's not just about one day when we die out there, but it's eternal life starts now. And this gospel of the kingdom is a now thing. We leave the kingdom of darkness, we come into the kingdom of light. We leave the kingdom of brokenness and, and Satan, and we come into the king, kingdom of healing and, and, and Jesus, King Jesus. And it's a whole it's a whole, not just believe in some things in our head, but it's a whole new life orientation. When did Jesus Christ become this treasure in your life? That's what we're actually going for, where Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. And it's just a, it's a radical, wonderful, good, beautiful, big, grand, global, glad, incredible gospel. That's what I'm trying to talk about here. A couple of weeks ago, flash, flash the, uh, the spheres diagram up. A couple of weeks ago, we did a commissioning, and we realized, hey, we're, we're a part of Jesus and his people, Jew and Gentile, together in the body of Messiah, and we gather, and then we get sent out. We gather, we get sent out. We gather, we get sent out. And two weeks ago, we did a commissioning where we had everybody stand up in all your different spheres, education, all the different things, and we said, go and do that in a way that brings the reign of God, wherever your sphere is in Jesus' mighty name. So we want to be all, all about that. And when I'm talking, I'm kind of taking that specifically on the justice piece today. And my burden is that we would follow Jesus into the world to make things right. That's, that's really what I, as the Father sent me, Jesus said, I'm sending you. So just like the Father sent me out, I'm sending you out. And it, you know, we have to touch some hard things or things that make us tired or things that get us outside of our comfort zone or think us, things that make us realize I don't have it all together and I'm not a little God in my world that doesn't have any needs, but I have needs and other people have needs. God is making things right in us, in me. God is making things right in us. Did anybody have a situation during this last week where you need, where you realized, hey, I need some things made right in me? See, that's like half the room got stuff that needs right happening. I mean, I just, you, just different things happen, man. We were like, ah, oh, I can't believe I thought that. You know, ah, I need redemption. I need healing. I need help. I need hope. And um, so God is not just making things right in me. Praise God, he is. I've needed it this week. And he's not just making things right in us. Praise God, you needed it this week. We needed it this week. But he wants to make things right in our city, in our university, at our universities, plural. He, he wants to make things right in our businesses and in medicine and all the different, different things in our city. And here's part of my burden. 
There's a way of sharing the gospel where it's kind of spiritual and it's real a bit really about heaven one day and, and that's the main part. And this practical stuff, the stuff of life, it's like, well, that's kind of an add-on or we, we don't necessarily have to talk about that. And that is a false dichotomy. That, that should not be. And when you get out in mission and you actually start touching people where they're at, you realize there's a lot of brokenness and you can't just say, hey, you can go to heaven one day when you die, but sorry, you don't have any water or food or you're in bondage or you're whatever your broken situation is. Uh, sorry about that. So what the burden here is we want to bring these things together where this gospel is a gospel of the reign of God touching every part of life. Is that clear? It makes sense. I mean, so we've been on this journey ourselves for all these years trying to, and nobody does it perfect, and just nobody does it perfect. So we're, whoo, light, the grace of God, you know, but we're on a journey. And so, I mean, even as a church, you know, years ago, we we said, Lord, what, what are you leading us to do? And we felt like the Lord was leading us to move to Fort Worth. And we made that big challenge, you know, hey, you may never move to Thailand, but will you sell your house and move with us, keep your same job and move with us as missionaries to Fort Worth? And we had a couple hundred people do that. I mean, it's exciting, right? But that was just, I was talking with an a old friend this past week. His name's Larry James. And uh, he started this thing called City Square in Dallas, just helping thousands and thousands of people, underprivileged and all this stuff. And he said, Jamie, one thing I've learned over all these years is that God meets us at the edges. He meets us at the margins in our own life, in our own places where we're stretched beyond what we can even imagine and where other people are being stretched beyond what they can even imagine. That's where God meets us. And so this whole church, I could just... Part of our burden has just been to create a, a headquarters, a space where everybody can be involved in this gathering and being sent. Gathering together, getting encouragement. Anybody need it right now? It's encouraging being here, isn't it? But then this isn't it. We don't just live in this little bubble. I'm going to talk about that. We're sent out. And so down through the years, man, it's just, I praise God for what's going on with fighting the, the trafficking stuff, victims. That's just, Oh, that's, that's difficult. And so, but we also want all the other things that everybody gets to get in on this. So we've got families. I mean, guys, we've got so many families that have adopted orphans into their families. You know, just adopted the, the, the homeless, the, the orphan, the fatherless and brought them into families. I love that. That's, that's the heart of God, isn't it? I mean, that's what our triune God is like. He's bringing us fatherless people into his family, to know him, that so we won't be orphans, that we'll be loved and all of that. We've got, uh, you know, we move into neighborhoods. That's part of how we got here. We move into neighborhoods. And that's what, I love Peterson's translation. Uh, it's some, I forget what the passage is. God, God John one fourteen. God moved into the neighborhood. God moved into the, that's what we want to, I'm sitting here looking at the Browns right now. When we moved down from Grapevine up there, they live six doors down from us. We did life group together. Everything was great. I'm just kidding. It just, it, there was hard stuff, but they live six doors down. And then one day Randy comes and he says, I feel like we're called to move to Como, this underprivileged area. And Anda was just like, yes, let's do it. But she got there. She got, she, she's funny telling the story, but they got to unity as a family. They, they moved in and I mean, it's, but it's difficult. 
They're, they're out on the margin. They're on the edge. And there's great things that were happening. You know, Randy had these mighty men that he was discipling and stuff. And, and even, um, I don't know if Corey and Courtney are in this service, but uh, one of the guys he got to work with through op camp and all this ends up making, he gets a scholarship to Abilene Christian out there, meets his wife, and now they're back here in the church life, you know, just at, at Antioch. It's really cool. But there's, there's that kind of thing that's happening. We want to be a gathering and ascending kind of people going out to make a difference. One of the things the Browns realized in that context is that, man, people need education. Like, that's one of the, the most current needs. And so they ended up starting a school called River Tree to help underprivileged kids get an education. Isn't that powerful? That's, that's making things right. That's a picture of what we're, we want to be about. We've got different people in the church life here involved in helping refugees, some personally as families, others in more organized ways and different things we do to reach out. We've got some real refugee hubs here in the city of Fort Worth where people just have landed uh, from different difficult situations around the world. Medicine, we're sending out people to work with medicine and healing and trials and making things right physically. Kim, and it's not always easy. Kim was telling me this story this past week. Uh, they work with, uh, part of her work is to help with underprivileged people that can't afford hearing aids and stuff. And, and this person didn't get the aids and then just lit into Kim just, and just kind of, and she was hurting, kind of called me. I was like, oh, I just got chewed out. And as I prayed for her, you know, because we need the church. If we're going to get out on the edge, we need each other. To help encourage us, Tiffany, it's going to be okay. Chris, it's going to be okay. Joe, it's going to be okay. Yancey, it's going to be okay. And we need that. Uh, we've got lawyers in the church life here. We've got business people on the, on the streets of Fort Worth trying to make ethical decisions, do things right, out on the edge with, with people. Um, one of uh, Jim and Deanne Reynolds, uh, Jim's dad, I'm just looking at Jim Jr., but his dad, Jim Sr., is a dear friend, a mentor of mine, and uh, for 30 years he was a, a lawyer, a family attorney, family practice attorney in Fort Worth, and he was also, so he helped people do divorces. Now, I know that sounds strange, kind of, but listen to how he, it was on the edge, it was on the margin. He was also a pastor of Lake Highlands Church in Dallas. Isn't that an interesting combination? Hey, meet my pastor, lawyer, divorce attorney friend. And he's an awesome dude. He's an awesome dude. And so he did 4,500 cases in a 30-year period of helping people that were trying to come to him and get a divorce. And he said, Jamie, it's like he was sharing this story the other day. At, we had a luncheon thing downtown. He said, you guys, it's like, it's like you're, you're coming up on a car wreck. So when, when somebody comes to you and they're talking about divorce and they're angry and, oh, and everybody's hurting, it's like coming up on a car wreck and bodies have been thrown out of the car and mangled children's bodies. They're hurting. They're wounded. They're, it's just broken. And you get a chance right on the edge there to bring the love of Jesus Christ into that situation, to help make things right in the middle of that broken situation. And one of the powerful things, the testimonies, of Jim's life is that of those 4,500 cases, by getting them to breathe, to slow down, to breathe some air when they're just, everything's fight or flight and I'm angry, they had, he had over 500 uh, of those cases that said, we don't want a divorce after all. Isn't that awesome? That's, 
That's, that's making things right at the edge, at the margin. You know, and he would say, I'm living on the mean streets of, he called it the mean streets of Fort Worth. Out on the mean streets of Fort Worth, all that stuff would come and I had to run to worship, run to the church and run to prayer. And I mean, you sit in some worship like this and you'll go, Oh yeah, when I'm feeling it this week, I want to run to prayer, run to worship and run to the church because we gather. And then we scatter out to make a difference. We, sca- we gather and scatter. The problem is, there's so much tension in this, it makes it hard for us sometimes. It's hard for me to go for it sometimes because I get weary and I get tired. And we have a real enemy who does not want to see us and the entire world redeemed. And he's fine for us to just sit here in a little Christian ghetto and, and just kind of live our own little deal. He's fine with that. And, and, and besides, we're tired and we're weary. But I want you to know we have a Savior. And we have a King. And we have a Lord who empowers us to live by His very life. His reign flowing in and through us to make a difference in the world. It, that whole gospel of the kingdom stuff is for real. It's like, it's so much more. It's not just one little apple. It's, this is a bushel of apples, if you can imagine. Do you guys even know what a bushel apple A bushel apple, it's a big kind of basket thing that holds a bunch of apples. It's called a bushel. And the gospel of going to heaven, having my sins forgiven, is one apple out of this whole big bushel. And there's so many more apples in there. It's the good news of forgiveness. It's the good news of freedom. It's the good news of deliverance. It's the good news of meaning and purpose and destiny and hope and life and fellowship and relationships, a life completely changed and transformed. That's the gospel of the kingdom. So the main thing then today, just putting it all just kind of into a sentence, is that Jesus is making things right in the world and he wants us to follow him and express his heart for justice. Okay? We, we end for this. So three quick points. The first one, making things right, making things right, that's what we want to do, means we believe the good news of the kingdom. So turn to Mark. You could do this in any of the Gospels, but turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. So Mark starts off his Gospel. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, kind of sets the tone. And so Jesus then, when He gets ready to start preaching the Gospel, and He says what the Gospel is, and I think it's really important that we hear this because in our tracks, I don't know what all the different reasons are, but in our tracks and different things, We've, we've so truncated the gospel down to just believe on Jesus and you can go to heaven when you die that we miss out on Jesus was actually, he had a full life transformation plan that he was going for that involved every single part of our lives and every single part of planet earth. He wanted to redeem the whole kit and caboodle. I don't think that's weird. It's, it's a phrase that, Older people know. <laughs> Somebody, I, I almost said stinking, and that, that, I knew that one good. I checked off on that and went for kitten caboodle. And it's weird. It's weird things you think about when you're up here. It's so funny. Okay, so here we go. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Wait a minute. That's it? So he goes on then and just starts showing what this good news looks like. Healing lepers, casting out demons, healing sicknesses, touching people that are considered dirty and unclean, casting out demons, raising up a dead girl, touching a dead girl. All these things would make him ceremonially unclean according to Jewish law. And yet there he goes. Here comes the kingdom of God. Here comes the reign of God. This is what the reign of God looks like again and again. And I always want to ask when I read that about this is the gospel. This is the repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come. What kind of stories going on in this Bible where Jesus showing up and going, the kingdom is here, is good news? Because we go, if I say the kingdom's here, we may not, may or may not understand that that's good news. But it's good news because of the story they were living in. So God creates Adam and Eve, and then the fall happens, and then he comes to this this, uh, th- this pagan named Abram. And he says, I'm going to bless you and through your family, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And then Israel, you know, starts developing as a nation. And, uh, but then they get to this point where they say, we don't want God. We don't want you to be our king. We want a king like all the other nations. And so they give up God as their king. But all the while, you know, God comes through Nathan and says, there's coming a king. There's going to be a king that's going to sit on this throne of David, and it's going to be a never-ending, nonstop kingdom that's going to last forever and ever. Okay? So that's the story that's going on, and Israel's blowing it, the kings are blowing it, prophets come, and they say, get your lives right with God. Don't just do sacrifices. Don't just bring bulls and I I don't care about that stuff. I want you to live a life that's right. Act justly. Do mercy. Walk humbly with God. And that prophetic voice is just out there again and again and again. And then finally, Jesus shows up on the scene. Israel's God in the flesh. Israel's God in the flesh. And now he says, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. And believe the good news. The reign of God has come. God has come. Just like He always promised He would, said He would. It's powerful. That's what it, that's what it, and He starts, the, the gospels then unpack what it looks like for God to be reigning through Jesus and how He wants to reign in and through us. Flash the slides up. Okay. Just don't be intimidated by eschatological. It just means the end. Okay, it just means last things. Common Jewish eschatological expectation. It's just basically a, a two-part framework. This age and the age to come. This age, the age to come. And they were going to be separate. This age is, is, is characterized by rebellion, injustice, wars, people not having enough, those kinds of things. And then the age to come is things get made right. There's justice and peace and plenty and no wars. And that was going to be separated by the day of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord. And that would be marked by resurrection. But what the Jewish people didn't expect was for the coming age to break into the current age in the life, incarnation, life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so when he says the kingdom is here, 
The kingdom is here. The kingdom really was here. And yet we're still living in this age. We're living in an in-between time between this age and the age to come. Does this make sense? This is really important for us to understand because we want to be people that express what it's like to make things right. Even as we're longing for things to be made right, we know that they're not. And we say, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that again and again and again. And it's like we become a signpost people that point to the way things will be. We are, this this part's not as biblical, but we're time machine people. We bring the future that God has and we express it in the present right now. We say the way things will be, and we see that with all of our creativity and faith, and we say, God, would you do that in this broken person's life? Would you bring healing in this person's life? Would you bring salvation? Would you let them know that you love them and care about them? Would you take that future of the way things will be when there's going to be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, and express it right here and now? Use me as a conduit to do that. That's making things right. That's God's heart for us that we would be this kind of a people. Second piece, making things right means we acknowledge the tension places. How many know there's some tension places? So I've got three that I want to mention, historical, psychological, and theological. Somebody say, I don't know if I like all those big words. Historical is that, you know, in our country, there's there's been this false dichotomy between spiritual salvation and and helping people. And there's some reasons for it historically. There were some battles that were being fought in different churches over God's word and was this really God's word and we really have to live by it? Did Jesus really come? Did Jesus really die on the cross? And so there became this tension over time between more liberal part of the church and a more conservative part of the church and uh, what was called a social gospel and what was called the evangelical gospel or the gospel of going to heaven, you know. And what I want to say is that's not our argument. That, that's not our argument. That wall, that wall is a false wall. And you can't, you can't tell people that they're about the good news of Jesus and just turn a blind eye to they don't have water or food or they need healing or medical care. You, you can't, you can't go, Jesus loves you, go to heaven when you die, and I'm going to stay back over here in my bubble. That is a false dichotomy. That's really a big part of my burden today. It's just that we would see that, that dividing wall it needs to come down. Okay, so historical. And then psychological kind of fits in with it, really that and theological too. But the, the psychological tension is between purity, we want to be pure, and disgust. Things that are contaminated, dirty, disgusting, um, just all those, those kinds of things. So they did a famous study, and I'm getting this from a, a friend's book called Unclean out at Abilene. And uh, they did this study on disgust. And can I just get everybody, just kind of do your mouth, get your mouth wet, and swallow. Everybody good? Got that swallow? It didn't weird you out or anything, did it? I wasn't weird, nothing weird about that. But the study was that you spit into the, a Dixie cup. And now, will you drink the Dixie cup? Or will somebody else drink what's in the Dixie cup? That's disgusting. That is absolutely disgusting, right? Everybody's in agreement? 
disgusting. It's been expelled from the body. And there's all, there's all kinds of stuff that we do that we don't think about. We don't even like to think about food that's nasty, disgusting. I've been talking about this stuff all week long with Kim. She's like, finish the book and get done. <laughs> Would you just, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm like, hey, wow, this is incredible. But I mean, there's so much there because, because, um, we get disgusted by certain things or food and, and, and even things about death or things that our bodies do or the way they smell, and we get disgusted by those things. But here's the problem. When we start applying those things, like that's a real psychological thing that all of us need to, I'm just put, making it out there so we're aware of it. When it comes to people, and we start applying that disgusting thing to people, man, it's like we flip the whole thing upside down. And so theologically... You know, we say clean, and then we say unclean. And it's, and, and we want to be clean. We, we want to do that, but then we get a mindset that's different than God's when we start thinking about our cleanness and our holiness. Because God comes in the flesh and steps into the neighborhood. You know, I remember years ago, 25 years or so ago, I read this book by Max Lucado called God Came Near. And it just, he's talking about the incarnation. And I hadn't heard that much about the, I just, I hadn't thought about it that much. And he talked about God going through a birth canal. You know, and that's just like, we think, we hear that and we go, we want to somehow make Jesus not human. Anybody ever had these thoughts? You know, like he's kind of up here and really he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And understands the stuff of our... Let me just show a couple Bible verses how we deal with this. The Pharisees struggled with this. We struggle with it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. All that stuff about tax collectors and sinners, you know, if they touched somebody, then we're dirty. Jesus has a whole different paradigm, doesn't He? So He calls Matthew, tax collector, follow me. And then he goes to Matthew's house. He goes to a party. Verse 10, while he was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your, ta- your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, so that's, that's kind of code for dirty, unclean, not holy, right? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus is planting Himself firmly in the prophetic tradition of the prophets of Israel. You know, you've got the priestly tradition doing the sacrifices, kind of making everybody clean. And then the prophets going, stop doing that. Live right. Act justly, love mercy, do kindness, and do walk humbly with God. And so Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And that's just, that's a mind blowing kind of thing. You, if you roll that clock forward and think about all the different places where Jesus is violating, uh, you know, parts of the, the law. You know, where it says, you touch a, a leper, you're, you're unclean. 
So the leper comes and said, Will you, would you make me clean? If you're willing, you can make me clean. He says, I'm willing. And he could have just said it, but instead of just saying it, he touches the guy first, making himself ceremonially unclean. What Jesus does, and this flips our paradigm, this is what we have to think about. He flips this thing upside down. The person who touches Jesus, instead of them making Jesus unclean, he makes them clean. And that's the good news that we've got that Jesus touches the world. He wants to make everybody clean in him. He wants us to know that life, that love. Luke 7, he's at Simon the Pharisee's house. This woman comes in. She's a sinful woman. She's crying. She's repenting. She's, her tears are on his feet. She's drying them with her hair, you know, and Simon says, you know, if he was really a prophet, he would know this woman's unclean. She's a sinner. And, you know, that's the, that's that disgust thing that we cannot, must not apply to people that God loves. And it's going to challenge. It's, I'm, I'm saying it's real. It's real. But Jesus is wanting to make things right in and through us. And getting this on the table will help us when we're trying to reach out to the poor, those people that aren't like us, because of our bubble of not having a lot of need and almost being godlike in our not needing. We all need. And the more we see our need, the more we're going to see the need of other people in the world around us. We are grace-needing people. We are mercy-needing people. We are people that are made to give grace and to give mercy to others. And, and I just, you know, I, I want to say, just we're starting to wrap this up, but I just want to say, you may look at the need around you and go, oh, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do. And I just want to say, every single person that's engaging just by faith, what's the word of the Lord? What's God saying in just every single situation? It matters. Whether it's unbound or whether it's adoption or whether it's, being a lawyer or a businessman or a person that works in medicine, you know, just, but being on the edge and saying, Lord, I'm willing to go there. And you're going to get tired. You're going to get weary. It's going to get hard, but he's going to fill you up and he's going to give you more. And he's that unending, never stop Niagara. He is the nonstop, never ending Niagara of, of, of love that fills us up when we get to the very end. And so that's what we want to do. Third thing is follow Jesus and give mercy. Follow Jesus and give mercy. I desire mercy. I desire mercy. And so that's Jesus moved into the neighborhood with us and he's calling us. It's an, it's an invitation. It's an, it's always an invitation. That's why we do what we do week after week. We gather and then somebody, me or somebody stands up and says, May you be the kingdom of God. May you be grace and mercy and life and love to people as you go out those doors. You know, go do it. You know, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to be people that are gathering, getting filled up, and then going to be and to do on the campus and your jobs and all the different places where that's going to take place. I was uh, with a dear friend who came and spoke at Bros and Burritos yesterday. It was awesome. I had three different kinds of meat on my tacos. I would never do that in real life, but I did with the guys. I would also say, I'm not going to say this. <laughs> so, okay, well, we got junior high. We, we just totally went junior high yesterday. We did have a burping contest. Kim said, no way, you didn't have a burping contest. 
Who was, who was even willing to get up there? I was like, no, I'm not telling you that. It just, it was. But I did think there is that disgust thing. I was just the whole time that they would go, Aah! and I'd go, oh, gross. That's, I was like, what a great illustration. I, first service didn't get that, bonus round right there. But Chris, one of the things he said was, abide in Jesus, make disciples. Just kind of broke it down. He said, you know what? I've been a, I've planted a church in Chicago, planted a church in Bangalore, India. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I own seven businesses right now in Waco. He's in the whole Magnolia realm and just all that kind of stuff. Change, they are changing the world, making a difference for God. He said, but one thing I figured out for sure is getting on a plane doesn't change you. So we are who we are. God wants us to be right here in Fort Worth. And if we're called to go somewhere else, praise the Lord. I want to see it happen. But it's this follow Jesus and give mercy right here where we're at. I, I've pretty much done. It can be organized. It can be personal. And what you have to give matters. That's my, that's my burden. We are the church together when we're doing this and going for it. And oh, Lord, help us to do it. In Jesus' name. Y'all stand up. Okay, let's respond to God. Again, the word here, I just the last few weeks, I've just been hearing, wake up. Wake up. I just just everybody. Wake up. You wake up every day. It's weird, isn't it? You just have to keep doing it day after day, right? Here it is. It's another morning. I gotta wake up. Lord, help us to wake up to you. I felt like I was supposed to share three things before we do prayer. First one is faith. Just may the Lord give you faith. If you need faith to jump in on this thing, to be a part of it, then, then, then ask for prayer. Get prayer from somebody. Fear, the second word. And, and that is, it's like, whether it's the disgust thing that, that triggers in us or just concern for personal safety or, or whatever the different pieces are, faith, excuse me, love drives out fear. Fear can't stay where love is flowing into our hearts and lives. So get someone to pray for you. If it's, if it's about fear about this stuff, then get someone to pray for you. And the last piece, perseverance. If you're in the battle and you're going for it, you run up against walls, you, you have mountains that need to move, and then you need the perseverance. So whatever your need is on this front, Father, would you release the gospel the good news of your reign into every single life here in this room. In Jesus' mighty name. And uh, Lord, meet us. I know there's places where we need help and grace. And even if it's other things, we need to get prayer. This is a powerful time. Expect the Lord to move and to answer prayer. Let's press in here for five minutes or so. And then I'll dismiss us. Go for it. We don't have long, so press in. Go for it.